Zoe, I, you know, I was saying, I got on my knees. I said, Lord, I said, you know, I don't want this to be held against me. You know, I said, I, I, I didn't still have no peace about it because I kept saying, I said, if I did something wrong, I said, I need to know, mm-hmm. you know, I need to have some peace about if I made the right decision. And I never forget as long as I- Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome to the Magic Hours. Zoe Flowers here back with another episode. And this time I am talking to Rakita Peters. Rakita, how are you today? I'm fine, Zoe. How are you today? Happy All Saturday well. to you. All is well. All is well. So I want to tell folks a little bit about who you are and then we'll hop right into the conversation. Okay. Okay. All right. So Rakita is a survivor of domestic violence. And in 2017, she launched her blog, Purple Vision. Purple Vision is dedicated to helping, empowering, educating women who are victims of domestic violence to get the care they need, heal from being a victim of domestic violence, survive the traumatic experience of domestic violence so that they can create a vision for a better life for themselves and their families and honor the memory. And she also is honoring the memory of women who lost their life due to domestic violence. So Rikita holds an MS degree in urban planning from Columbia University, a BA degree in urban studies from Dillard University. Rikita is the founder and owner, as we said, of Purple Vision Blog. And she is currently the CRO in operations at the Louis Armstrong New Orleans International Airport and is available for planning and facilitating assignments, social media administrative, legislative policy research, administration, writing assignments, speaking engagements, workshops, training, teaching, and conferences. That is a lot. (laughs) So welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you, Zoe. I appreciate the invitation. Yeah, so let's just uh, jump right in, Rikita. So I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, what made you want to do this work? What made you want um, to start Purple Vision? Um, I wanted to really give back, Zoe, to kind of like pay it forward. I had a lot of people that was involved in my life um, when I was in that situation um, dealing with domestic violence, a lot of social services agents, uh, a lot of social workers, and just a lot of pe- good people in general. And, um, I, you know, from counselors to just people helping me with childcare and getting um, things that I needed for my two young children at that time, summer camps or whatever. And I just wanted to give back to some other some other victim and survivor what people had given to me and my kids. And um, that, um, I kind of felt like that was a part of my healing process, you know, playing it forward and giving it back and helping someone else and letting someone else know they're not the only person that finds themselves in that situation. And that there are people out there that really care about them and care about their children and care about their well-being. So that was really my whole purpose for starting it. Um, I, like, um, I would, um, the nights when I couldn't sleep, I would, in my prayers, I would ask God, you know, how could I help somebody else? You know, when I would think about, um, when I would do my gratitude in my mind, I think about how people have blessed me and my kids, you know, and I wanted to make sure that I just didn't, you know, receive a blessing and I pass it on or pass them on to someone else. So, um, you know, I try to figure out, you know, what could I do? You know, you know, do I do a book or do I, um, sell things and um, give the money to a social service agency that helps the victims, the victims of domestic violence, and 
I really didn't know, you know, how I was gonna do it. I just know that I wanted to get back to someone um, that would experience that same situation that I had once experienced. And, um, you, know, you know, I was, it just really came to me in a dream. And um, the, I tried to figure out, you know, what I was gonna name it. Um, I didn't, like I said, I didn't know what it was gonna be. I didn't know it was gonna be a book. I didn't know what I was gonna do, but I knew I was gonna do something. And um, in my dreams, you know, it came back to me, um, Purple Vision, you know, and mm. I, it was like, what kind of vision, what kind of vision I want to have for my life as a survivor, you know, and I wanted to make sure that people know that they can move forward and have a vision for a better life for them and their children, you know, even if they didn't have children. So, you know, so that's how the name really came about. Um, and that was back in October of 2015, but it really wasn't until 2017 that I actually launched a website. I had went to um, a, um, uh, a boot camp, they call it like a start of your business boot camp here in New Orleans uh, back in, April of 2017 with the um with an organization called Happy Black Woman um, uh, um Rosetta um her name is Rosetta um she was um real instrumental and in kind of like helping ladies you know who wanted to start their own business or who wanted to start their own nonprofits or whatever niche they had to try to um come up with trying to do that and so about me attending that weekend session. I began to, you know, try to think about uh, what I wanted to do. And I remember her saying in that conference that she started her business off basically with a simple blog. And so that's how I came to start blogging and blogging and, and blogging. And I found the more I wrote about my experience and shared it, the more it was like therapeutic for me because I was mm -hmm. kind of like healing at the same time I was writing. I was praying that what I wrote, someone else would read not for so much for just to read it, but that it would it would re resonate with somebody and it would help them, you know, know that better days are ahead, you know, that they don't always have, they won't always feel this way. They don't always feel like um, they're in this situation. It's not going to never get any better. So that's how I came to Bly because she, I remember saying during this conference that she started her whole business off as with a plain blog. And she kept saying, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect. Just do it, you know, just do it. And, and, um, from that on, when I came back from the conference, I went to um, the Urban League. They had a um, business um, 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 think tank for um, minority women who wanted to start small businesses. And I went there, spoke to a lady there, I got referred there and she connected me to another lady that was working there who helped me um, um, you know, um, launch my uh, website. And with that website, there was a blog, you know, um, button on that website where I could blog. So that's really how it came about. And I remember telling us, uh, Rosella Thurman telling us during that conference that I went to that you have to invest in your business before anybody else can invest in. You have to invest in yourself and your business or whatever. So uh, I took the money that I had saved and I, you know, invested in, you know, getting my blog up. And I, from that point on, I just started blogging. You know, and I've been blogging um, I launched a blog in October of 2017, and I've been blogging since then. So, um, um, and you know, it, every day, you know, I just blog, and I begin to learn about blogging, and um, also about um, inviting people to do guest blogs. But um, this year, it seemed like it really um, came full circle because I'm getting more people now to, um, you know, and I find it as an honor to be able to share with them, you know. As for them to be able to give me their guest blog and me be able to publish it. Cause I feel like everybody's story is different and everybody's story is sacred as a survivor of domestic violence. There are no two stories that are the same. Everybody has different circumstances, but I feel like 
it's all a part of the same um, situation that we're trying to advocate against and trying to hopefully eradicate one day. So um, that's really how it all came about. Um, I'm still working in the process as far as, far as blogging, but um, I get um, a lot of um, um, encouragement and I, got, I get a lot of encouragement to see that other people get encouraged. So that kind of like feeds me seeing that what I do is serving other people and it helps other people. So that's been basically um, what I've been doing, just blogging, you know, and, um, you know, really um, and connecting with people and um, like you and other people, you know, that's been really um, kind of like um, been healthy. It's been like, a, it's been feeding my soul. It's been feeding my, I feel like that's, that was my purpose, you know, yeah. um, you know, so it's really been feeding me and helping me as well. And it makes, it gives me great joy to see people, you know, who are survivors writing books and plays and um, podcasting, you know, and um, it, just, it just makes me feel good to see that. You know, I, 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 like when somebody launches a book, I had another um, person that um, sh um, shared with me that guest blog this year and she launched a book um, yesterday and it's oh, wow. um, on Amazon. Okay. And so I, it, made, it made me feel real good um, to know, you know, that I had, you know, I knew her before her book launched. So yeah, that, that kind of stuff really uh, helped, makes me happy, it really does, yeah. So I'm curious about, so like you said, domestic violence at all, yeah, all of our stories are different and, and they're all the same in some ways. And I'd love for you to just go back a little bit, maybe to um, your girlhood and, if there were any connections, you know, again, thinking about people who are going to be listening to this, um, and I love, I think the title of this is going to be Better Days Are Ahead, because I love that. Um, that'll be the title of this episode. Um, what do you think are some of the messages that you received as a girl that maybe impacted the way you see or saw relationships? Um, my, my mother and father, um, um, uh, eventually got married when I was um, growing up. My parents um, had separated for for a good while, but I, my dad was always in our lives, always provided for us. So even though they lived in separate houses, really less than probably a mile away from each other, I still had both of them, you know. And that they were loving parents or whatever. Um, but I guess my ideal of relationship was that I wanted, you know, the, the American dream, you know, the, the husband, the wife the kids, the White House was a picket fence, stuff like that. So that was my vision of marriage and relationship. I knew I wanted to be one day be married. I wanted to have a family because my dad came from a large family. My mother was just her and my her brother. Um, but um, even though um, they weren't in the house for a, a number of years, me growing up, like I said, it wasn't like I didn't have both of them. Cause like I said, they lived in two separate houses but they were like lived a less than a mile away. Eventually, my parents got married um, the year I graduated, going into college, and they did get married, and um, they all we all lived under one roof. And so, um, again, you know, that kind of reinforced that you know I wanted to have a, a family and whatever. My dad was a good provider. Um, you know, everything that I could want as a um, as a girl, you know, I, I didn't didn't do it out. You know, I learned how to drive. My dad supported me, helped me buy my first little used car, and my mother was always there to encourage us and be there for us. Um, and I, it's, I'm a, come from a family of seven children. I'm the middle child. I have um, four brothers, and I have two sisters. And my younger sister and brother are twins. So, um, 
that dynamic was always there. That support system was always there. Um, that provision, that pr protection from my dad, um, you know, profession of caring about us was always there. Um, and so I never wanted for that type of um, attention. I think, um, you know, my vision of marriage and the person that I married vision was, I guess, you know, I thought we were on the same, had the same vision, but, I, you know, I, I evidently, obviously it wasn't the same vision. So um, mine was more like a um, the American dream, you know, you know, you go to college and, and, you know, you work a career or you find your career and eventually, you know, I knew I wanted to have a family, like I said, because I did have a family. I came from a large family. Yeah. So that was basically my vision of um, relationships, um, commitment, respect, you yes. know, um, consistency, um, everything that my dad was, you know, um, dependability, yeah. you know, that's, that's, that's what I had in my father still do to this day. And he'll be, um, to be um 86 god willing on uh, april 24th oh wow and my mother's not my, my mother's now deceased she died in um 2017 mm. but i never i never wanted for anything as far as um you know my definition of manhood was what my dad was our father was what my dad was to me you know and so i guess you know in a marriage relationship that's you know that's all I knew, you know, yeah. because like I say, my mother, we never wanted for anything. We rent was paid. I never was hungry. I mean, everything, like I said, that I wanted to do, my parents encouraged me. I decided I wanted to move to New York and get my master's degree. And even though I was from, the, from my Southern state and had never left the city of New Orleans, they were like, go for it. You know, yeah. you know, my dad would tell me, you know, he said, now remember, you know, New York is not, Louisiana is not New Orleans, but if that's what you want to do, yeah. Um, they, they always had my back, you know, yeah. and, um, I'm, I'm grateful for that because like I said, um, you know, they didn't come from a wealthy family, but everything I wanted to do as a, as the, I guess, the, they said a middle child is kind of different from everybody else, I guess. But I, when I would go to them, if it, they would always tell me, you know, if that's what you want to do, you know, do it, you know, go yeah. for it. And, um, I always had their support. So, that that was like my image of family, you know. It was like I say, commitment, support, love, you know, respect, um, consistency, you know. Mm -hmm. And I'm really my dad's child as far as personality wise because yeah. he's very much um, a creature habit, you know. Yeah. He worked, provided for his family, came home, and that's pretty much how I was, you know. How I still am to this day, you know. Is not I, I'm not really what you call a spontaneous person you know um i pretty much like i said a preacher happened so I, I don't know if that's good or bad but that's pretty much how my dad is you know he's real consistent so um his yes to me yes his no mean no you know mm. and that was you know that that's that's basically how you know i grew up my mother was um real sweet um uh, you know she was really um um more uh real calming spirit um uh, real patient um um um, she had a real earthy, warm um, personality, you know, and, um, you know, I didn't, I think what I got from my mom um, probably was uh, a very smart, she's very intelligent, you know, speaks real well, um, spoke real well, you know, she was spoke real well, but um, I think that's what I got from my mom. My mom was real smart. Not saying my daddy, my dad is not smart, but she was real, real smart in terms of that, you know, I'm not really, a, I, don't consider, I don't consider myself a uh, um, a world-class speaker. I think I do best expressing myself writing, you know, yeah. um, just speaking. But um, 
that's what I, I think I got from my mom. You know, her intellect. I mean, even when she would help me with my homework as a kid, you know, just the way that she spoke um, and how she, um, you know, would help me um, do my spelling words and stuff like that. You know, I, I really believe I got that from her, you know, and that part of her. And just being a good mother, I got that, I believe, from my mom as well. You know? Yeah. So I know, thank you for that. I love, I love hearing the story of your, of your family. And I know for me, once I started sharing what had happened with me, when I decided to write, you know, the, the book, um, and I started talking with people around me about their stories, they were very varying, just like yours. Some people came from backgrounds like yours. Some people came from backgrounds where they saw violence growing up. So there's never any sort of one story. But one thing that we did have in common was it really took me speaking out and telling people what happened. And then I realized that almost every single one of my people close to me had some sort of experience with violence, be it sexual violence or dating violence or um, domestic violence that again, we, it was just not spoken about. And so I guess that's why I'm wondering what messages, you know, you got as a girl about relationships because there does seem to be you know sort of unspoken and sometimes spoken actually reframe (laughs) that there are messages Mm -hmm. about girlhood and um behaviors in relationships and things like that so did you immediately um share your story with people or were you silent for a bit I was silent for a long time, you know, um, and I think that probably was to my detriment when I look back on it, um, because, you know, I was, you know, I was thinking, well, you know, it's just a phase. I, you know how you hear these things, people who've been married a while say, you know, you go through those rough patches, mm. and I just thought it was a rough patch, you know, mm. and that it would eventually get better, you know, mm. so it was a long, long, long time for my parents really knew what was going on, you know, mm. really, um, I think, um, I had been married probably, um, I don't know, I was married, I had probably been married probably over a year, probably two years or so before they really knew exactly what was going on. Mm-hmm. And um, the the first people that I initially shared it with was with my mother, my two sisters, I did share it with my dad for right. a long time. Right. Um, because um, like, like anything, you know, you don't want to um, cause any harm to anybody, you want anybody to because uh, like I said, my dad was a protector and a provider. And had I think had he known what was going on when I first initially, when it first, it might've been a different story. And I didn't really want anybody to get hurt or anything like that. So I, I kept it to myself for a very long time, you know, for I really began to, um, you know, share, you know, and, um, and because of the physicality of it, you know, and I be, begin to get uh, hurt, you know, in terms like that bruising. I, w- I know I eventually I was going to have to share it because somebody was going to see it on my face or whatever. So those were the, like the initial people that I told was my mother and my two sisters. And I and I even when I told them, I remember telling them, please don't tell um, my dad, you know, because I didn't want to. I think I was more fearful about something happening to, you know, my family than I was about uh, what I was going through. You know, and um, I remember um, vividly, you know, going to work, um, covering my face up. But I was like in probably in my middle 30s. I was like in a, my prime, really. Mm-hmm. And um, making my face up and covering up um, my face and going to work like, you know, and but like nothing had happened, you know. 
But my thing was I didn't want, I thought I was protecting, you know, my family by not saying anything, but really I was really making it really hurting myself psychologically and not only hurt my, getting myself hurt physically because I was trying to protect them. And um, I did, you know, and also it was a thing for me, um, Zoe, I had wondered myself, how could I find myself in that situation? You know, you know, you know, I had, like I said, I had, you know, by this time I had been to school and everything had started working and um, had, um, had, had, had my, had, had, had my first child by then and everything. So I began to, contemplate how do you repeat it you know how do you find yourself in this situation you know um you know it's almost like I was blaming myself you should know better you know you know how do you find yourself here you know um and just trying to figure out what to do you know and um I think the longer I kept it the worse it got you know you know to myself because I'm quite sure he was wondering what had I shared it with my parents and I think as time went by um, he recognized and realized he really didn't his the way they treated him didn't change, you know. Okay. So I I think he began to suspect that I had not shared it, you know, and I didn't, you know, for like I said, and also I guess I was one that, you know, wanted to um be the wife that, you know, stood by their husband and supported their husband. So my conception of marriage was that as well, you know, being supportive and, you know, and um riding out the bad time because I'd heard, you know, people have rough patches, you know. Um, like I said, my, this was my first marriage. I had never been married. Um, at all, just you know, had never had any children. When I got married, I had never been married before. I had had no children. You know, everything about me up until that point was about working and getting my education. You know, um, that's that's what I spent my early twenties doing. You know, working and getting my education. You know, and that was, and you know, building my career. So I didn't really get married till like my mid thirties. I was, you know, by the time I got married, a lot of my um, classmates had children, you know, they were almost grown, you know, because they had their children in the early 20s. So yeah. um, that was basically, you know, my my perception um, in my head, you know, that yeah. it was just a rough patch and um, it would eventually get better. And, um, and, and, and it didn't, it got, it got worse, really, you know, yeah, as the years we, went by. Because we know, hang on one second. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting when you were talking about being supportive. And so that for me is one of the messages, right? That's one of the things about, you know, the wifely role, I would imagine that was one of the messages, um, protection at all costs, even to our own detriment, sometimes protecting the person that is abusing us is also a very universal story. Um, and so when you did share with everyone, so you said you received a lot of help, which is amazing. I did too, and I'm very aware that that is not everybody's story. Um, so I think a good question would be what specifically was the kind of help that you received? Because if anyone's listening who thinks they might have a close friend or a family member who's in a situation like that, I'd love for them to hear what actual support looks like. Um, um, first of all, I had a good um, legal person. Uh, I was mm. fortunate that I had a good lawyer. Um, 
to bring me through the process uh, regarding restraining orders, uh, regarding um, 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 whether or not I wanted to stay in the house, reside in the house with my kids, because we owned the house at that time, or whether or not I wanted to move. Um, I had a good person that was able to articulate that to the judge about um, visitations, um, things that I didn't, you know, I would have to worry about, you know, you know, I had to, you know, and I had to make some decisions about whether I wanted to stay in the house or leave. And um, so that was a, a good uh, start for me. I had a good person that was a, a good lawyer that was able to do that. And um, I had, a, at that time, I had a, a, you know, a good job, you know, yeah. it, it wasn't, but it was good enough where I could, you know, be able to uh, retain somebody that could help me through that process. And mm -hmm. um, I think the fact that I had, um, I'm a planner researcher by trade helped me as well because I was mm -hmm. able to also research um, social, social agencies that would, would help me as well mm -hmm. um, to kind of to kind of educate myself as to what to do next, who to call in terms of that. So that helped me a great deal as well. Um, my own skill sets helped me to be able to kind of help myself, help my family. Um, also, um, there were uh, childcare was a big thing for me at that time because I was working full time. Um, my salary also, um, my job also had the benefits for health insurance. And when you know, after, you know, when you have children, you need to have health insurance. You know, if they get sick. So I was pretty much the um, um, the breadwinner at that time. You know, as far as that, because the health insurance and everything was coming out of my salary at that time. So that helped a big deal that I had a good relationship with my um, boss uh, who happened to be a female, who happened to be already married with a husband and a daughter. So even though she wasn't a victim or a survivor, she um, was a blessing to me in that sense because the rich side did have to go, I did have to share that with her, um, what was going on. So that was a big thing. I had a good supervisor, a good employee who, un who understood once I sat down and shared with her what was going on and didn't, um, you know, um, tried to help me, you know, even as much as um, writing letters of reference to me when I went to court to give to the judge as far as my, um, um, my um, dependability, you know, uh, on my job and how that could spill over to me being a good parent a good single parent, a divorced parent, uh, um, the children, um, when I started fighting for um, full custody because I chose full custody instead of joint custody. So um, I was fortunate in that, that I had that. Also, um, like I said, the childcare facilities, um, Hang on, learning yeah. and being- Hang on, please. Yeah. Okay. So that helped a good deal. Um, um, and like I say, just having um, social service agencies that help with childcare, like uh, New Orleans Family Justice Center, Crescent House, um, Kingsley House is a, a place where they had different programs for counseling, aftercare, um, summer camp. So mm -hmm. those are the agencies that really helped me a lot during that time. Um, also knowing about, um, like I said, um, just the legal system, going through the legal process of you know protective orders and stuff like this. But I think the two biggest helps as far as outside of my family and, yeah. and uh, was uh, those Kingsley House and the Wallace Family Justice Center because they are connected with other agencies that uh, help um, survivors and victims as well. You know, Crescent House is a shelter, a local shelter um, in New Orleans, uh, even though thankfully I didn't have to go to the shelter, but 
it was good to know that that was available to me um, if I, you know, I needed to have that. Um, but um, those were the organizations that really were big help to me. Like I say, just having the support of my family and just having, um, you know, when you're dealing with that, economics becomes real important. So mm. having a having a supervisor that was supportive and um, non-judgmental um, mm. made a difference. It really did. It made it. It made the hard times a lot more easier because yeah. I knew that you know I wasn't going to be reprimanded, or which I know that that's legal to do anyway. But I, you know, she all she told me was take care of your babies. That was mm. always my supervisor. Um, words to me, take care of your babies. You know, mm-hmm. she's saying, she would always tell me, Ricky, that they're not gonna always be little. You know, take care of your babies. And um, that made a difference, you know, that made a difference because there were times um, when I would be working, you know, he would tell me, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm gonna cause you to lose your job. You know, I'm gonna come on your job and I'll cut up. And he did, he, everything he said, he did. And- you um, your job. Yes, yes ma'am. And my supervisor um, was there. <laughs> she got the authority. It was like, you know, it was nothing, you know, anything that anybody could ever think that I could, that they probably went through it. I know everybody's story is different. Trust me, I went through it, you know. I mean, but that was a part of, like you said, the control well, you know, yeah. controlling you mentally, controlling you emotionally, controlling you financially, you know, controlling you spiritually, you know, yeah. that's all a part of that power and control will. So I've really, I've really lived out all of that. Mm-hmm. And that's why it was important for me to share with people that they're not alone in that because I, you know I, not only do I read it I read it in books but I know what that means when, when they have that power control will you know and and we never thought about the economic portions of it but economic and money Zoe plays a big role whether people yes, realize it, it or not let's you know so, so let's talk about that let's talk about because again we know what the power and control wheel is but I want to really make it plain for people who might be experiencing it and not knowing actually what they're in. Because for me, I didn't even know I was in a dating violence relationship till I was well out of the relationship in a whole nother state. And I joined the movement. And once I started reading books, I was like, oh my God, (laughs) whoa, this is what I went through. So what, so let's, let's go one by one. So um, some of the ones that people don't really think about. So, so what do you, when, when you talk about the spiritual abuse, what does that look like for people? Um, for me, it's like if you're getting ready to go to church on a Sunday or synagogue or whatever, and all of a sudden you get ready to go to church, you come back home and, you know, you got the word or whatever from your priest or your pastor, and you're trying to bring that energy back to yeah. your home. And, yeah. and, and, the, and, the, and you bring it back to the person that you're connected with, you know, you, you know your spouse, you know, and mm-hmm. he just, they just have, they just cut it down, you know, they just yeah. shed it down. You know, you want to share with you learn because they've, they've got decided they're not going, you know, they're not going anymore. Or either 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 it, the flip side is that, are you prepared to go and all hell breaks out to keep you from going to get the word from the synagogue, from the, from, from the um, um, pastor, from the priest or whoever, you know, that whoever you go to, to get your spiritual connection. And I think that's another point of it because you know when you hear the word whether it be if you're a muslim if you're a christian if you're a baptist or you're a catholic or whoever your religious affiliation is that word if you have a a, a person that's called to, to um, preach or teach that word empowers you you know it gives yes. you the strength to carry on yeah so anything 
that's going to empower you, will make you feel better, will make you know that better days are ahead. Yes. But when somebody tries to cut you from that, then what what other what other connection, strength, encouragement, hope you're getting? Well, oh, yeah. you're, oh you're going to get it. You know, if, if somebody's with you that's trying to keep you or distract you from getting any kind of thing that's going to uplift your spirit, yeah, you know, right. so... So I think that's important um, to recognize, you know, because if you came from a family like I did, uh, who, um, you know, was, you know, raised to go to church on a Sunday and get the word, you may not went every Sunday, but you went for the most majority of your childhood, you went, right. you know, you were made to go, you had no choice when I was growing up, you know, right. you took that walk down the street, if you lived in a neighborhood or you got in that car, you went, they didn't care if what you did said your Friday night becomes Sunday morning. You had to ride, you had to go. Yeah. And so that, those things, you know, helped me, you know, those are the things I went back to what I knew as a child. The, yes. the, the, the scriptures that I read, you know, came to life to me when I became a woman, you know, I mean, I understood what that meant, you know, we've been nothing it all night, but joy comes in the morning. But when I got older, I, I, I began to understand what that scripture meant, you know what I'm saying? And, you need that when you're going through this, when you're trying to make a decision to leave or stay. You need to have something to be able to let you know that better days are ahead. You know, and if you trust and believe and, and pray and keep your mindset that eventually you're going to be able to make a decision to, to help you, help yourself, help your family. But if you have someone that's trying to keep you from that or hinder you from getting that, even when you go to get it and you try to share it to hopefully not only help yourself or help that person, but they don't want to hear it then that's a, a way of discouragement, I, I see, you know. I can remember going, and I would be, coming back home, I would be so energized, you know, you know, because I had went to church, I heard the word, and it was a good word, and, and I would come home and, you know, try to share it, and, you know, try to, so that, I could uplift my household, you know, thinking, yeah. oh, maybe if you, you know, share what you heard, that'll yeah. uplift him, and he don't want to, you know, yeah. get, do right and do better, you know, and, mm -hmm. but that that's, um, People, I think sometimes, at least I know I realize that that's another form of power control, you know, you know, you know, even when you sit down and open up your Bible and read it, you know, you can't even read it because there's always distraction or discord or whatever. So it takes your mind off of what you really need to have to empower you yeah. and you focus back again on that, 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 that trauma and that, um, you know, stress that's in, in the household. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Do you feel like, your faith propelled you to leave or um, kind of made you, not made you stay longer, but like, what do you, what do you feel the role? Cause sometimes it can make people be like, okay, I'm going to like stick it out because they've read something or sometimes it could be like, no, go like we're escaping. Like they left, you know, like they left Pharaoh's land. So like, what do you feel like your faith had, which, which way did it take you? For me, or I think it, mm -hmm. it, for me, it made me, I believe stay longer, you know, mm -hmm. Before I, you know, because I was going into the word, you know, reading the word, and, and I was trying to find something in the word that was going to give me an answer to what I was going through. You know, mm. if I do this, you know, if I'm, I'm, if I'm going to be held accountable. So I was, I was, I was 
in the world looking for an answer. That's why I say I was mm. looking. I was saying, you know, somewhere it, where I could find to say, you know, if you decide to do this, you know, he, God is not going to hold us against you. And even up until the time I left, I can remember I had left. I'd already left, had already moved, and um, divorce was already filed. And it was one holiday. I think it was the first holiday, um, you know, that right when I really just left, I was, you know, left. And I can remember um, watching um, the Trinity broadcast um, channel, and um, Bishop T.G. Jakes was on. And I can remember praying and and uh, praying and praying. And I, and I, you know, and I, and because at this time it was already filed or whatever. Even up until that time, Zoe, so I, you know, I was saying, I got on my knees. I said, Lord, I said, you know, I don't want this to be held against me. You know, I said, I, 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 I didn't still have no peace about it because I kept saying, I said, if I did something wrong, I said, I need to know. You know, mm-hmm. I need to have some peace about if I made the right decision. And I never forget as long as I live. And I knew this was nothing but God. Bishop Jesus Jacobs on there. And he was yeah. talking about marriage and family. Yeah. And he said out his only mouth, the only way, the only way he was saying out his mouth, God will release you of this if it's because of the view of abuse. He was talking about marriage and divorce or whatever. And th- it was it for me. When he said those words, I knew because I remember being. I laying prostrate on my face, watching it, watching this program, and act. I said, you know, God, you know, I think they had went. My kids had went to him for the holidays. You know, it was either Thanksgiving or Christmas. I know it was one of those holidays, and I was in the house, you know, here by myself. And um, I said, Lord, I don't want to, I don't want this to be held over my head. But I, I just mm. need to have some peace about did I make the right choice? You know, I even believe in my. Even I, 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 I would say I believe I did, Lord, because I know you don't want your daughter's mistreated. And he, I had the program on and he was, and, and as I was, he was talking and he was talking about, he said, that's the only way, infidelity and abuse. You know, he kept saying, those are the only two that God will really release you from as far as, you know, marriage and divorce, whatever, infidelity and abuse. And when he said that, it was like, I was, it was, I, I was done with it. That was I was it. done with, I was done with me questioning my, my decision to, to resolve all that, to yeah. you know, to be a willing, to be a willing to participant in resolving it, you know, because yes. at this time I had been married, um, at least I think ten years at least. Yeah, I had been married ten or eleven, eleven years. So you talking about like a decade and a year past a decade. So it's not like even I know twenty and thirty years is a long time too, but yeah. a decade is still a long time. That's as well. right. But that's um, a long time. Yeah. And so I remember um, me struggling with that, you know, and um. God, God, and I, and I remember praying. I, I need some type of, you know, confirmation with it. I need to know so I can have some kind of peace about this, this decision. Because to me, you know, I was always, like I say, a creature habit. So when I made a decision about something, it was rarely me changing my mind. When I made a final decision about something, trust me, I didn't mold it over. I didn't shoot it up. I didn't prayed and talked about it to myself, you know, and talked about it to God and researched it and whatever. So when I finally make a decision about something, it's pretty much done, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so even in that though, I was still questioning. But I knew that that was also it was that was me doubting myself whether it was God. That was really um, demonic, really trying to pull me back and suck me me back totally. into that situation. Totally. And so once once I got that, it was like I just went through the rest of the the process. You know, it wasn't easy, but. I knew at that point that you, you know, Ricky, you, you don't, you, you don't have to worry about that. That point, I guess God was telling me, if that's what you're struggling with, you ain't got to worry about that. Cause I'm about to end that right now with you in your, 
Because like you said, your mindset plays a lot on the decisions that you're making in the future. So God, I guess, was telling me, I'm about to get your mind right about this choice right now. And we're going to be done with that as far as, you know, thinking, you keep mulling this over in your head. You know, did I do right? Did I do right by my children? Did I do right as far as dissolving this marriage? You know, is this going to, and I began, and once he said that, I just remember weeping, not weeping because I was, weeping because it was a release. That part was yeah. relief. Because yeah. I kind of felt like I was released from, um, I felt my own condemnation. Or I yeah. thought God was going to condone me from that. And I was released from that part of it. So that that I did struggle with that. And I think that caused me um, probably to stay longer than probably I should have, you know, but I did. I'm so glad that you shared that because just think somebody listening to this conversation might be struggling with that same thing. Yeah. And yeah. you are giving them the same message that you got yep. from Jake's. Yep. yep, yep, yep. And I'm so grateful because, you know, um, it, it, it was like a freeing moment for me, Joy. You know, and I never felt, um, um, you know, I never had to question that part no more about what was going on. Now, there were other things that I was, you know, wondering about, you know, what was the purpose for us even getting together? But mm. God began to tell me that too. Well, your kids, you know, your children, you know, mm. this is what, this, this is a good, this is the most good that did come out of this. You know what I'm saying? You know, why was I with this person? Then I began to say, my kids, you know, our kids, you know? And so that's the one good thing I can say that came from it is our kids, you know? And uh, and after that, I stopped, I stopped questioning that anymore. You know, as I, you know, there were things, but I think most people, um, more answers you know they want to know you know what if you know why did i even why was i even drawn to this person you know if this you know if this was because me i'm more of a person you know when you commit you commit you know like i say i i i want to say that i'm that kind of person you know i don't i'm not like in and out you know and i'm not knocking nobody who are you know because everybody is different i'm more like you know stringent you know my yes mean yes, my no mean no, unless, unless it's something that's beyond my control and I can't, you know, um, do anything about it at that point. You know, I'm not one that's um, in and out. You know, just, you know, I say one thing, but do something else or whatever. And I'm not saying I'm perfect by no means, but I'm not. I'm just saying I'm kind of like a, a creature habit. So, yeah. you know, I don't, I'm not, you know, you know, if I'm saying I'm, I'm going to be here, I'm going to do this, then I try to be, um, be committed to what I say I'm going to do. It's, I, that's the way I, I put that, you know? So, um, yeah. yeah that. So what, so that was a great message that you heard that day. Um, a freeing message. What other messages do you think, like, what do you think that the faith community can do better? I mean, there have been some changes since I joined the movement in 2000, but there's still a long way to go. What do you think um, the community can do better? I think uh, the fact that they have, um, we have um, at my church, they call it the divorce care ministry. Um, and I think- um, What's it called? That, uh, divorce care, divorce mm. care ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they have a, a ministry for, for people who are dealing with grief, if they had any kind of loss. So I think if they had more ministries, um, maybe have more ministries, like you have a prison ministry or women's yeah. ministry or men ministry, mm. that kind of like, um, um, you know, that probably would help a lot too. You know, a lot of, um, I think um, um, 
I think meeting the needs of, of your parishioners, whatever they may be, if you if you find a need, that would be good. You know, I think having a ministry that deals with uh, any type of traumatic abuse would be good. You know, mm-hmm. just like you have, like I say, a prison ministry, a woman mm-hmm. ministry, or whatever. So I think adding those ministries to the congregation uh, and having people lead those ministries who have, you know, who have um, have experienced that makes a difference as well. I think. Um, um, uh, I know they have the uh, young adult ministries for girls and young adult ministries for, uh, you know, for, for, for the kids. But I also think that just ministries that deal with self-esteem and um, um, for young people. And um, it's good, you know, I think yeah. that's real good. Um, um, because even before you, you know, you need to learn how to um, love yourself, you know, yes. as a young person, whether it be a boy or a girl before you even, Transcends into to, um the in dish, and having activities for young people where they have group dating, you know, where they don't have to feel like they have to co- commit, you know, to one person, you know, as a young person, you know, transition, you know, do things in stages as a teenager, you know, yeah. you might want to date when you hit thirteen or whatever, but maybe maybe not, but individually at that young, maybe a group of y'all go out and it's what you call group dating, y'all, you know, just. Um, they just have fun, just be a, a young person, you know. I think those type of ministries would be good as well, you know what I'm saying? But definitely, um, the divorce care ministry because, um, it is a form of grief because you, you know, you it's a loss of a um marriage, um, so it's kind of overlaps to a grief ministry when somebody dies due to death or somebody got killed or whatever. But, um, I think that, that makes a difference because even when that ministry. There were people who probably didn't go through what I went through, but they might have divorced because of irreconcilable differences or whatever. You know, the fact that you're going through that with uh, somebody who's bringing a biblical perspective for it, but with compassion and love, I think makes a difference as well. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because um, who knows that the person that you divorced, they may decide to still go to that same church, you know, and they may decide to. Um, you know, continue to go there. So that means you don't have to see the, that person. And if you share children, you know, you have to co-parent. So that's a lot of things I think they dealt with in the, um, the divorce care ministry, you know, co-parenting and stuff like that. I you like know, what um, you're, I like, um, I like that, first of all, that grief and that divorce care. And I also like that you brought in the, te- the piece about the teens because domestic mm-hmm. violence doesn't just happen with married people. It typically is, sure. it ha- starts the grooming process starts way before people get married. Correct. Correct. And so even, you know, when I really think about it, like working with young people to start to notice the red flags too, right? Correct. Like, Correct. 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 Yeah. Those things, those yeah. conversations need to start very young. Because, you know, when you're that age, you're very impressionable, you know? And yes. so, and then you have to deal with, uh, peer pressure you have to deal with um yes. you know you, you know some teenage we're in that awkward phase you know you don't feel like you're pretty you don't feel like you're good enough you don't yes. feel like you're smart enough yeah and so any attention that you get from any person of the opposite sex is a um you know it you feel it makes you're you feel better maybe yeah so um i think that makes a difference when we um um have our young people work on their inner selves mm-hmm. before they begin to start um dating and you know and stuff like that you know work on you know like it's just almost like doing a vision board you know how do you see yourself five years from now you know young 
as a young young teenage girl, as a young teenage boy, because I think it should be done for boys and girls. You know, totally. What do you see? What What do you see yourself doing five years from now? And I'm not talking about what you and who you're dating or who you like. You know, because we all have teenage crush too. I like students, whatever, whatever. Yeah. You know, but I mean, what do you What do you see yourself doing? You know, five years from now. Yes. And even if you want to go further that and say, well, you know, you know, um, what characteristics, you know, even at 13, you know, what characteristics yes. would you like your 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 spouse to have? You know, what would you would you like your your husband or a person that you're dating to have? Because then they begin to start the wheel starts yes. to turn in the head, head, you know. So yes. this is the vision I have for myself as an individual yes. person. And this is a vision I have of, of of the person that I would like to date, eventually marry, have children. And I think when we start doing that, the younger the possible, yes. they'll be, the wheels start turning. So, you know, because of course the board is going to change. As you get older, things are going to change. But you can look at what your thought process is when you were preaching at 12, officially a teenager at 13, when you get to your sweet 16, and then when you get to the year that you graduate from high school. And just kind of like, look, my boy changed. You know, when I was 13, I was, this is what I was, this was my thought process. You know, and now that I'm like 16, three years later, you know, if it, it you compare, you can kind of compare the, compare the boys. Yes. Yeah. You know, it, did it? It's like when um you're little and they mark the wall when you're growing. It's yeah, right. It's yeah. I like and 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 center yep. what you want as a person and really Perfect. raising people to have. A, a core vision about what they want their life to be because other than that we're just out here like drifting yep. first person that pays attention yep. like you it's like, like this is this is um Rakita's 13 year old vision board yeah. this is Zoe's this is Zoe's 13 year old vision yeah. board this is Rakita's 16 year old vision board this is Zoe's 16 year old vision board and let's compare Rakita's vision board at 13 and 16 and see if there's any difference, you know, and I would do it where they would even be have access to the 13 year old vision board. Mm-hmm. You would be starting, when you got 16, I would make you do a whole different vision board without looking what you put on the 13 year old. Mm-hmm. Because that's when you start seeing how the mind, if your mind, your mind's on a wall, because you know, you're always changing at that time. You know, you change, you know, you learn new things. You learn new things as a teen. If you learn new things as an adult, but definitely doing those, I call it formative years, you know, when you're, around your fears so I just think that um I think that would help too you know because you begin to focus on getting to know you before trying to get get um in a relationship with anybody else you know which what's what's your dislike dislike and dislike not with the person that you you know have a crush on what do you want you know you want you want yeah what do you want you know what do you see how do you see yourself um, making um, the world a better place? You know, what contributions you want to give, not what who you think is cute and whatever. And that's all a part of growing up. But I mean, yeah. he got a board. He got his own board. He got to do too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's kind of, I think that would help a lot. You know, yeah. I think that would help young people a lot too. Because yeah. then they would say, you know, I have an idea, you know, somebody said well you know what you want to do you know when you get to be when you finish high school oh I know you know they'll have um you know I have an idea and then some kids you know they they don't they don't have an idea which is not a bad thing but it, I think if you start young kind of training their minds at least think about it you know 
And eventually it tell them, you know, well, you know, what you wrote here, it may change, it may not change, but it's good that you start to think. And it kind of, because people, they'll tell you, you know, you know, I never thought about that. I never thought about that that way. I never thought about looking at that situ- situation that way. I never really gave any concrete thought about what do I want, you know, for my life as I grow older. So I right. think that's a good thing. Yeah. Mm. Hold on, Lakita. So, yeah, I think that's. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's, that's a good thing. Yeah. So we talked about the spiritual abuse that took us on a whole nother thing, which is great. What about the economic? You said for you, you were the breadwinner, which we know statistically is not uncommon. So I think that's something else for, you know, young girls when they're looking to partner to know about. Yeah. Yeah, how their economics are impacted when they sure. when they partner. Yeah, so let's. I, I think I think it's important that you um uh, have a part of that thinks same the same way about money as you. You know, I mean that you know doesn't doesn't think um that's responsible. You know, because money gives you let's face it, money gives you choices. You know, it gives you options. You know, you know, and um uh and I know the Bible says that money is the root of all evil, but that that's that is in the Bible, but also having money gives you choices and options. You know, it gives you choices and options because it gives you choices and options as to far as you know where your kids are going to go to school. Um, if you can get aftercare before care for them as a single parent, as a single mother, and you're still trying to work, and that helped me a great deal. You know, the fact it money, and I would say not found that money, but resources give you options because sometimes information is more critical. As, as it's critical, I'll put it as money. That's true. Because you can have the money, but if you don't know what resources are available to you to help you to um, to leverage the money that you have, maybe designated for. The cat. <laughs> That's okay. No, but um, that makes a, a difference, you know, it, because you can leverage your resources with the money. You know, what I'm saying. So I think that. That plays a, a a a good part because uh, I remember by me being a planner, researcher by trade, that helped me. But also the fact that I knew, you know, that if I got my kids into this summer camp program, that it may not be free. It may be a sliding scale fee. So I knew, you know, okay, okay, it may not cost as much as you went to this summer camp, but at least you know you're gonna have to pay something. But it but it's good to have the information because you know, okay, I can choose this put them still in a, a good facility, but not have to pay an uh, astronomical fee. And they still will be good while I'm out, while I'm at work. I don't have to worry about what they're doing over the summer, who they're with, who's watching them. And I can still work in peace until I get off and not worry about, you know, my kids not having a good summer. So I would see resources and money, you know, because yeah. if you have the resources and you have a, 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 a decent salary, you can leverage that to make, better choices you know and like i said money gives you choice it gives you choices it gives you options and when when somebody's trying to control that economic piece it affects choices the choice that you make for yourself the choice that you make for your kids it affects affects choices where you stay at where you're going to move at it affects choices with everything right so when they started um controlling that piece oh yeah 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 because that means you behooving to deal with it more or stay in it longer until you yeah. figure out how to 
leverage the resources and get them to get options to, to, to move out. And I think, you know, that's uh, very important that we teach uh, our young people money management skills. You know, yeah. I call it life skills. Yeah. You know, they should have um, a, a student check. As, um, I know here, um, when you're 17, you can get a, a, a your own checking account, but they call it a student checking. And they need to get it as soon as possible. Mm-hmm debit card checking account because they need to know you know in their name on you need to know this is what you have this is how you need to manage it mm-hmm. and so the earlier the better that money financial education piece is important because mm-hmm. it spills over to other things in life it exactly. spills over to you know how to manage it for if you're paying you're putting gas in your car you're paying your, it's small bill cell phone you know yeah. it don't have to be up there you need to be responsible for that. Just start off. Let's just start off with the cell phone. Yeah. You know, you know, you're responsible for paying your own bill. You're responsible mm-hmm. for making sure that it's paid. You're responsible for making sure you find the best plan. You know, you find the best cell phone plan based on the money that you have because that spills over to adulthood. You know, and I think that particularly, particularly for 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 women. You know, it used to be I remember people say, you know, you know, you know. Nowadays, you know, most husband and wives either they work on them finance together, or they may have one person in marriage that's better at dealing with it. But you need to know, you know, about the money. That's you right. Need to know. That's right. You need to know. That's you right. About that's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, when you think about what's next for Purple Vision, what would you like to see happen? What's your vision for Purple Vision? Um, I really like to see it um, continue to live out the vision and mission statement that I um, was given to me when I started it, you know, and um, I really would like it to um, to um, one day um, turn into either some type of um, 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 book or some type of um, journal that will continue to encourage people to continue to empower people, that will continue to um, honor people who have lost uh, their lives due to it. So a book, a journal, um, 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 workshops, dealing with vision boards and, and stuff like that. Um, I think that for me, with what I see, you know, that's what I would like to see, you know, for, you know, because I think that the more we start uh, having a visual concept of creating a life better for ourselves in our heads, then it spills over into our actions, you know, and Got what we right. want to do, you know. So I think it starts with the head first and then it comes through, you know. And sometimes you got to reinforce that because, That's you right. know, you always got two people talking. You got the good part of your brain, people, good things speaking into your ear, and then you got always the, the negative that's trying to pull, okay, no, well, no, you can't do that. You know, how can you possibly think you can accomplish this? And you got to keep reinforcing the, the good in your head, you know, that, yeah, this is possible. You can do this. Is this what you want to do? It's almost like um, having a parents that support what you're doing, you know, you know, and having someone doubt what you're doing. You know, you got to have, you got to have it in your head where, you know, this is possible, you know, and yeah, you can uh, do this, you know, because I never thought that I would share anything, you know, with anybody about my experience, you know, not be, I think a lot of it was at the time was shame, you know, because I was just, was ashamed, you know, and I didn't think that, um, you know, that, it, you know, it was worth talking about, you know, but I recognize and realize that 
me sharing helps somebody else and that person, it gives them the courage to do what they need to do to move forward. And eventually they can do the same, but their story is shared to help somebody else, you know? So, um, yeah, that's, that's what I would like to see because I, it's purple vision is, 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 is bigger than me, you know? That's why I don't feel, I don't, I, I, I say I'm, you know, the founder owner, but it's not really not. It's really to, I, like I said, I get joy when I see people that I connected with go beyond and happy and doing the things they want. That makes me happy, you know? So, um, and I remember what Rosella Thurman said, you know, I started my entrepreneurial business with a simple block, you know, and, and I think that, um, it served me, you know, served me and helping me. And I, I pray it helps, you know, continue to help other people. That would give me a great drug that when people go to my blog and read the guest blogs in my story, that they get some type of peace of mind, you know, mm-hmm. they get some type of hope that better days are coming, you know, and they don't have to feel like it's going to always be this way. And I remember my, um, one, my supervisor telling me, you know, Rakita, take care of your babies. They're not going to always be this little, you know. And it's not gonna all. In other words, she was telling me, you know, yeah, you're dealing with this now, but just hang in there, you know, hang in there, you know, and um, it, you know, they, you're gonna, you know, just take care of them, you know. And I, what, what a, what a blessing to have people, um, you know, helping you to pull through that experience, um, uh, and tell you those things so that you know, you know, that this is just a season, you know, and this season gonna pass as well, you know, just hang on in there, yeah. and um. I'm grateful for that. I'm very much grateful for that, Zora, because like I said, um, and everything she said is true, you know, that, that um, they're not babies no more. You know, my son is about to graduate from high school this year, so my last one. So um, I have two, and he's walking, coming on through the, through the stage this year. So, um, but to God be the glory. To God be the glory. Yeah. Yep. yep. Oh, wow. It's been such a joy talking with you this afternoon. And so is your organization, do you receive donations? Can people donate? Um, I don't, don't have, have a, um, I don't have a, uh, the best way I think um, I get support is when people uh, share their stories via guest blog, because it, that's been my bit. I don't have any type of thing, uh, a goal fund or anything like that on my link. Um, <laughs> but, um, um, you know, supporting supporting me via the guest blog, um, inviting me um, to a podcast like yourself and, you know, stuff like that helps me to let people know um, that, you know, if they need um, to have support from me in any kind of way that I can help them. Um, I think that that helps that helps me. Um, for me, that's my payment, you know, is doing that, you know, and that helps me to um, share with a wider audience, you know. Uh, what's going on so yeah okay and how well I see you have on a t-shirt that says purple vision can people buy t-shirts yeah I got <laughs> t-shirts made just recently and okay. uh, uh and I want to do a um add a link eventually to my website but yeah I want to do some more shirts and um start Great. selling those and the, the the money that I get for the shirts I want to donate it to um organizations like um, Family Justice Center, Casey right. House here in New Orleans, and um, the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, and the Louisiana Coalition Against ne- no, no, the, the Louisiana Coalition Against Domestic Violence are the two organizations that I would um, see myself donating money to, because those are organizations that personally have helped me in uh, okay. my journey, and I believe okay. will help others as well. Great, excellent, excellent. And how can people find Purple Vision? Um, my blog is uh, purplevision.org, P-U-R, 
P-L-E-V-I-S-I-O-N dot O-R-G. It's a um, website. And within the website, there's a um, uh, area on the website where you can click and you'll see the um, link where you can connect to the blog. For the um, website, it's purplevisionnospaces.org. It's the website. And um, um, like I said, if anybody wants to share, um, submit a guest blog, they're welcome to contact me via um, my email address is first last name, Rekita, R-E-K-I-T-T-A-P-E-T-R-S at yahoo.com. And um, just shoot me an email. Let me, let me know if you want to um, submit a guest blog and we can take it from there. Thank you so much, Rakita. It's again, Thanks. it's been such a joy. And Thank you, Yes, of course. So folks go to purplevision.org. And again, you can talk with Rakita about being a guest blogger. I did it a couple of months ago. And, um, you know, it's great. It's always great to have your story out in the world. You never know who you can touch. You never know who you can help. You can never know who you can bless. So thank you so much. And I will see y'all next time. This is Zoe Flowers. Bye. Thank you.